This is Mental Work, the podcast unpacking the challenges faced by early career psychologists. And I'm your host, Dr. Brunwyn Milkins. Hey, mental workers. Welcome back to the Mental Work podcast for early career psychologists. Now, time is everything, and that's especially true when you're a psychologist in training. You have study commitments, supervision requirements, professional development, case notes, client hours, liaison with other professionals, and more documentation. Let's not forget that you also have a life outside of being a psychologist, which further squeezes your time, full of friends, family, housework, chores, and more. Now add pregnancy and parenting on top of that. It's very easy to imagine a parent drowning with the weight of everything, but this is the reality for many early career psychologists, including our guest today, Inez, who is a psychologist. Hi, Inez. Hello. And Inez is a mum. She's also my friend who became a mother during her training. And Inez, I'm really excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. Um, Thanks so much for having me, Bronwyn. Inez, I want to start in the thick of it. So you're in the middle of your master's as well as your PhD, and that's how we know each other. And then you find yourself thinking of starting a family. Tell us what that was like for you. That's right. So the decision to start a family and also to fall pregnant all came together and came together quite quickly. And that happened in the middle of doing my master's and also writing up my PhD. Um, it wasn't an easy decision. Obviously, it was really difficult. There was a number of things that I needed to take into consideration. At the end of the day, it just felt right. I knew it wasn't going to be easy. So I had to shift my mindset around that. And once I made the decision, then I needed to, to kind of to walk with my decision and uh, feel confident that that was the right decision for me at that time. You make it sound so easy because I'm thinking like you didn't have a guidance book for how to go about this, right? Like planning a family while you're studying. No, there was absolutely no guidance. There was someone else in the program that I had the chance to speak to, someone who's who went through the similar experience. So speaking to them, that holds a lot of value. If you get to speak to someone else who's gone through a very similar experience and, and went through it, they found it challenging, but they managed fine. Um, it gives you a boost of confidence, a sense of um, a sense of safety that yeah, I can do this as well. And that was pretty much the only guidance, um, shall I say, that I did have. In some ways, you have to lean on your previous experience, uh, on your previous experiences, and and think that I have the capacity to do this. And that's really what I did. And you go into it with. No previous biases, no previous fears in many ways. So you are leaning on um, a lot of gut feeling and then you look into the logistics. Obviously, there are many logistics to consider. You don't necessarily have to fear them. It's really good to consider them openly. Think about how best to manage those. It really sounds like you looked at the reality of the situation and you were like, look, this ain't going to be easy, but this is what it is. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I've said to people previously when they've asked me some similar questions and wondering whether they could do the same thing, 
um, I said, look, I made a decision and I immediately focused on how I would manage both my training, my PhD, and also becoming a parent. So it was, there was no split in my mind. I thought, okay, I'm going to manage both of these things. This is it. This is a season of my life and we can do it. Wow. Okay. So you've made the decision and then you're like, I'm going to do both. Take us through, I guess, some of the concerns that you might've had for managing both some of the logistical challenges that you needed to consider. Okay. So the big, the big challenges that I needed to consider is what childcare first and foremost. So I recall the moment I found out that we were pregnant, the very first thing I did is fill out an application form for the, <laughs> for the daycare. That was the very first thing because I knew that the wait was at least six months and I needed to get that application in on time. There was a six to 12 month waiting period. So really think about or what's helpful to think about your child care. And how much time would you need to take off? I knew for me, having my baby, I would have, I had my baby and then 10 days later, I was back in the lecture room. I was back to seeing clients and I depended on the daycare because we didn't have family in the area that could step in and really offer full-time care, which that's, that's a lot to ask for. So immediately I submitted my application for the daycare making sure that was in on time. Other logistics that I consider is because I didn't personally, I didn't want to pause my master's. So I needed to see, okay, when was my due date? And what would that mean? How soon can I go back? Um, so that was the second. These are the, these are the logistics. Yeah. We obviously had a look at the resources. And for the first three months, my partner stayed home. So he was a primary caregiver. While I went to class, I had my supervision, etc. He stayed home. And we knew this was the case. So we could forecast a little bit into the future. How are we going to manage this? And then we took it a step further and we realized, okay, this is going to be really tough. So how are we going to manage sleep deprivation? How are we going to manage being really short and snappy with each other when we are sleep deprived, when we've had very little rest. I think it's a helpful and important conversation to have. And realistically, these are the challenges that you will be facing and you can get through that. That's reassuring because it does sound impossible. As I'm hearing you talk, I'm like, yeah. wow, managing the master's, the PhD, the baby, the sleep deprivation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the list keeps going. I'll try to, two more things, I guess. Yeah. Another thing that was really helpful, so while setting everything in place, okay, we have the daycare, the resources, taking three months off from, you know, from, from being on site for my partner, um, we're going to be sleep deprived. What else can we do? What can we, you know, meal planning, small things like that. And then one other thing on top of that, which people always say, you don't know what's going to happen once you have your baby. And I said, okay, fair enough. We really don't know what's going to happen. So I will consider this, uh, your baby's temperament. Some babies are really easygoing. Some babies need a lot more care. Um, some babies take a lot longer to settle. Some babies take 12 plus months before they sleep, four hours per night, sort of that uninterrupted sleep. And I gave myself the option to pull out, to change my mind. I simply said, okay. Because this is, this is not something that I can control at this time. There are a lot of things that I can control. This is something I cannot control. I cannot control my child's temperament. And 
once Bobby is born and we get to know them, we're going to get to know the temperament. And if we find that the temperament doesn't quite fit or the child needs more than what I'm able to give at that time, then I reserve the right to change my mind, to pause everything that I'm doing and to fully commit to being a mom and staying home with my baby if that's what my baby needs. And I think that that took away a lot of pressure and weight. It sounds very freeing because it sounds like you could have continue to struggle with option A after you had baby and be like, no, I'm going to do this. Or you could accept the reality in front of you and be like, look, I'm going to be flexible and give myself that permission. And it sounds like giving yourself that permission was massively helpful. Oh, it was, it was a game changer. I'm not sure how I came to that conclusion, to be honest. I probably should have kept a diary. It would have been nice to know what the decision-making process was for me personally, but that landed somehow and it really stuck with me. And even in those times when it was really, really difficult and it was really, really tough, you know, having the mastitis and being sick Mm. and very little sleep, to be honest, never once did I consider quitting and I suppose quitting is not the, the, the term I'm looking for. Never once did I consider walking in and saying, okay, this is it. Pause master's, pause PhD. I didn't consider that. And I think a lot that has to do with this mindset that I had with me is that I gave myself the permission to do, to go either way and to really tune into my child's needs and take that as as my as my guide and some days were really difficult and we had she wasn't an easy sleeper I would say it took many many months and radical acceptance I and again rather than forcing myself to have this idea that she should be sleeping through it four months even nine months even 12 months I just dropped the anchor and it was radical acceptance that this is it She's still waking up three times, four times, I believe, even around 12 months, 13, 14, 15 months. She was waking up quite a bit. I was nursing at that time. And rather than going against the grain, I just gave myself the permission that this is the season and let's just enjoy the entire journey. Um, and it really allowed me to move move through it, I think, with a bit with less weight on me and having these really, really set and inflexible and heavy expectations. I'm really curious about how you allowed yourself to drop anchor. And I think the listeners would be really interested as well, because I'm not a parent, but I have heard that parents get a lot of shoulds and musts. Your child should be doing this. You should be parenting in this way. And I've heard that there's a lot of judgment that comes with that. So I'm wondering if that's true and if you noticed that. And if so, how did you actually decide like, no, actually, I'm just going to deal with what my baby is doing? Yeah, um, there is uh, there's a lot of guilt. I think parents experience a lot of guilt. And um, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to hold it slightly because otherwise it just won't be sustainable. Yeah. It won't be sustainable if I'm, I should have, I could have. Now, I did reflect quite a bit and I would quickly take responsibility for my actions when things didn't quite work out well. I'll give you an example. Yeah. And I think this might be really helpful. 
So soon after we started daycare, um, Bobby came home, um, just went through the day, went to sleep. And that was a particularly long day. It was really tough. It was late summer, so it was really hot as well. And I recall I just couldn't settle her. It was, it was just an off day and an off night. She kept crying. She kept waking up. I mean, I couldn't even get 30 minutes of solid sleep and she kept waking up and I'm thinking, what could it be? She was refusing. um, She wasn't hungry. The nappy was really dry. It wasn't too hot in the room. So you kind of go through the list and I'm thinking, what could it be? You know, I could experience myself feeling really frustrated. I was by myself. Um, My partner was working away. And in that moment of desperation, I said, okay, that's it. We're just going to get in the shower. So we get in the shower. And then as I'm holding her and the water's kind of just falling on us, she starts to settle. And then I had a I just kind of had a look. It's it's something as a parent, you get used to kind of looking over the little feet and back and arms. I noticed that she had a few mosquito bites on her. Mm-hmm. Now, earlier in the day, I really didn't see it when I gave her her bath. I didn't notice anything. And then when she went back to sleep, she must have started becoming quite itchy, my guess is. Yeah. And just as she fell asleep, and became quite uncomfortable. And I thought, oh my gosh, my heart was just sinking because for the past two hours, I was trying to settle her. And of course, there was no way that I could settle her because she was extremely uncomfortable and itching from these mosquito bites. Mm. So my heart was sinking in the shower, my poor baby. And um, she immediately settled and we had a little bit of cream. So you do all these things to help them settle. And after that... Of course, she went back to sleep because we addressed the the core, the core problem. But um, my heart was seeking. I was feeling really angry, angry in the way in which I had reacted. I was thinking, you know, what's wrong? Come on, let's. We need to get some sleep. Really, what I was saying is, I need you to fall asleep so I can get some rest. Yeah, right. That's what was happening. And so that night, I reflected. And it it was really heavy and it was tough. I woke up in the morning and I thought to myself, okay, I'm never going to make that mistake again. And I'm going to hold this guilt lightly and we're going to move on and reconnected with my baby, reconnected with myself and just thought, okay, it is summertime. It's really reasonable to accept that there's going to be some mosquito bites. Bring that to the attention of the daycare educators, making sure And that was my process of moving on. So reflecting, um, thinking that I did my best, my best was not good enough in that moment. I'm going to take responsibility for that and really tune in to her crying and ask myself the question, do I need her to stop crying or whining or settle because I need the rest? And that's a telling moment. And then you check in with yourself. You, you breathe and say, okay, what's needed in this moment? And this is when I started doing a bit more mindfulness as well. Up to this point, I really wasn't committed to it. Um, got in touch with some, with some books, basically. And that was extremely helpful. Mindfulness, meditation, yeah. It sounds absolutely amazing. What an incredible mindset because 
I'm imagining it could have looked very different. You could have been angry at yourself, have beat yourself up all night, continued into the next morning, felt so guilty, carried that around with you, really continued to have that inner critic beat you up again and again. And instead you looked at, okay, here's what I tried to do. I didn't have the skills in that moment to be able to help my baby the way that I wanted to. I will do better and differently in the future. And that is okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's be reflective, have some self-compassion, be productive, think about, okay, how can I move past this? I wasn't quick to move past the point. I definitely sat with that. Okay. Mm. I didn't try to ignore what I was feeling and the guilt and feeling a deep sense of pain for my baby and the discomfort because mm. she was quite uncomfortable seeing these mosquito bites and having her at that age not being able to um, eat herself or really move. Um, those are all the things I allow. I allow the thoughts to come in, to pass through me, to braid. So I didn't try to quickly move on from the issue. I fully felt that. Deep breath. Yeah reflect and then reconnect reconnect with your baby and I'm I'm pretty sure that I apologize to her in that moment I think that's a really powerful um, tool and a strategy to have for parents is Mm. to slow down feel it apologize to your baby it doesn't matter how old they are still talk to them speak to them get into the habit of apologizing and doing better next time It's really amazing listening to you with that mindfulness because it is acknowledging those feelings rather than pushing them away. And it sounds like that's been really instrumental in helping you get by day to day. Um, It still is. Yeah. It it still is. And I can't urge people enough. (laughs) And I say, if you ever wanted to try this, um, parenting especially will keep on provide you with opportunities to practice. Yeah. You know, when you're stuck in... 5 p.m. traffic and your baby's had a really long day and they're in that car seat and all they want to do is get out and they're screaming and crying. You need to sit there. You need to breathe. You need to extend your arm and say, we'll get through this. We're moving. We'll get through this. And you breathe Mm. and watch and just pay attention to yourself and how you escalate in the escalate. So I think a lot of what I did is I try to manage myself and to self-regulate in, um, in these moments. Because, you know, you go through something like that day to day and you get home and you think, okay, this is it. I, I can't do it anymore. It's just too much. Why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through this? Yeah. If that's the case and you well and truly feel that now, because um, remember at the very beginning, You've given yourself the permission to change your mind. That's okay. Honestly, that's okay. That's okay too. If you change your mind, that's fine. That's awesome. And as when you're talking about this, it really strikes me how how much brain space it must take up to be a parent. I don't even know if you would have 1% available because remember, like as you were having your baby, you were also a master's. So I'm just curious, how much do you think parent, being a parent, learning to be a parent overlaps with learning to be a therapist, if at all? And how did you manage to, to essentially learn both at the same time? Oh, yes. Um, they overlap quite a bit. That's interesting. So these, yeah. So these two things will compete for your attention, time and presence. Hmm. You're learning something for the first time at the same time. 
How do you do it? What's one way that you could do it? Now, this is my way. It's not necessarily the best way or the only way. I try to put in some boundaries. So in the morning after I dropped off my puppy, and then I stepped back into the classroom, into my supervision session, I stepped back to my desk. That was it. I would say I've dropped her off. It always helped if we have, if you have an educator, early educator that you have a connection with. So once you have that handover, you can say, okay, they're in good hands. My baby's safe. My baby's going to have a good day. And then you can say, okay, close the door. Now I'm stepping into this other role. So I try to separate the two. And if you're in a position where your child is in good hands, then you'll be able to do that. Now, your phone is always going to be near you. And if you have, if the phone is ringing, you have a message, you're thinking, okay, gosh, did something happen? Okay, no, everything's okay. And there were a lot of instances, you know, we had a fire at the daycare. Oh my goodness. Um, There was a fire. They were calling me. I was actually in a session with the client. I couldn't do anything about that. I had no idea. So they called my emergency contact. Uh, Thankfully, they were able to come and pick her up. Good. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's about the practice of this is the drop off. Now I'm going into my office or I'm going into my supervision meeting or I'm seeing a client. And to the best of my knowledge or ability, I try to be mindful of that as well to commit to one thing at a time and keep them as separate as much as possible. So that my headspace was with the client. If I was sitting down and writing something, that's for my energy and attention was really on. It sounds very difficult and I don't want to out you, Inez, but I'm going to bring this up because I remember very early on when you had Bubby and you tried to transition back into the PhD office and then scroll, 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 lots of photos of Bubby, going through photos of Bubby. It sounds like there was time to kind of adjust to those roles. Is that right? There was time to, there was time to adjust. Yeah. And there is, there is this regenerative source of energy as well that runs through you. So um, you just had a baby and you're doing this. And if you think, wow, I'm choosing this. I get to do this. Mm. I live in a place and time when I, when I can do this. And it lifts you up. It gives you that boost that you need. So you're enjoying the process. And my puppy came to the office as well. And I had supportive group of friends. You just need two or three, really, right? Yeah. Um, and you have a little bit of a support network and people say, yeah, you're doing it. You know, they keep the light going. And that's been, that was a huge source of support for me. And it brings up a really important thing because as well as having this amazing mindset, I will say, I think it's just amazing the mindset you've developed. It sounds like it has helped you so much. I do wonder about the environmental things that helped you get through your master's. For example, were the course lecturers or coordinators supportive or were there particular challenges to navigate there? Um, Yes. So this is a big challenge um, that you need to consider is how the program works, what are the relationships that you have with people running the program, and how do you want to manage this? My approach was um, to continue as if 
I never had the baby or as if they never knew that I had a baby. I brought that up initially and had that discussion that I was starting a family, I was pregnant, and that at this point in time, I was hoping what the plan is to remain in the program and continue as is. Mm -hmm. I also set the expectation that this may change given the temperament of my baby or if my child had certain health needs. Again, we don't know at that point in time, you just don't know. So if you can set some clear expectations around that, I think it will put you at ease and it can also put the people in your program at ease as well. It shows them that you've thought about this, you've thought about how to problem solve, and you've set some really clear expectations with them as well. And we do need to consider how we want to bring up the conversation because when you're in the program, whether you do your PhD or the master's, there are deadlines, um, there's annual reports. If you have to go on placement, they have to consider you as a potential intern. So they have to make sure that you have a place. Um, so let them know. Let them know. Let them know the bits that you feel comfortable with and things that may potentially impact on certain deadlines in timelines. Um, as much as people will be happy and excited for you, people also don't want to be inconvenienced. And that's that's really the reality. So clear expectations. Because you're right, people will be excited, but then also not enjoy being inconvenienced. And I imagine your mindset in kind of holding guilt lightly, if there was any guilt, um, would apply through this as well? Oh, yes. There was a little bit of guilt, a little bit of fear. I felt uneasy in the bottom of, you know, in my stomach, you know, the gut feeling. I was a little bit uneasy because there was some uncertainty, right? And if you're the type of person who really likes things to be in place and you like a lot of certainty, this is one of those times where you're going to have to sit with your uncertainty. I like to come to people with my plans, with my ideas and say, this is what I can do. And I had to say, actually, I'm not certain about this. I'm not certain how I'm going to feel once my baby is born. I may decide to withdraw. I don't know what the temperament is going to be like. I don't know whether I'm going to need an extended period of time in the hospital. And that uncertainty and not being able to put them at ease, it was really hard to sit with that. And, um, you know, you may, and, and then they'll have questions for you and you have to going to try to navigate with these and the feelings are going to get muddled, right? Um, so you're going to have to lean back on just... Um, Lean back on your original aim or goal or why you decided to do this, why you are considering this. For me personally, um, the decision to remain in the program or to continue with my PhD, it, it was a difficult decision, but it was a necessary decision because ultimately the decision my, I made was to improve my personal life. And the completion was a personal goal of mine. And I thought, okay, I'm doing this now. I'm doing this together. I'm giving myself the option to pause if I need to. I'm going to try not to. Because still at the end of the day, there's going to be challenges no matter what. Rather, I, if I do it now, if I wait and do it later, challenges will be there. I've heard that. I've heard from other parents that there is no perfect time to have a baby. 
And so it very much sounds like aligning with that radical acceptance, it's there's going to be challenges. Which challenges are they going to be at this time? And making that decision, how am I going to handle that challenge? Is that is that kind of the mindset around that? Or would you add to that or say it differently? No, I think you have it you have it spot on. It's your frame of mind. Yeah. And how you reframe things and you have the challenges. And are you now you're gonna to have to, as Slavoj Zizek would say, you know, it's not the problem, it's how you think about the problem. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> how you frame how you frame the problem. And so for me, I thought, okay, you know, going on this internal prac is going to be so difficult. And it was. And look, I would say really look deep within yourself and your own sense of resiliency and how you would handle that and be honest with yourself and it's okay. And then having the second internal prac and the drop-offs and the pickups. And to some extent, it was much easier to do this when my, when my puppy was really small. You wake up in the morning, they have a swim schedule, you put them in the car seat, you go, you do the drop-off. They kind of, they pick up on a pattern, right? You have a certain rhythm that you go through. As they get older, they say, oh, I don't want to go to school today. I don't want to go to daycare today. It's actually, it can be a lot more difficult to get out the door. Yeah. I'm not putting my shoes on today. <laughs> Whereas before, as soon, if they know what's going to happen next, they go into the car seat, you take them out, they go in, you do the drop off, you settle them, you do all of these things, right? As they get older, now it's, it's sort of they realize, okay, I'm not in the mood for this today, mom. So you see the problems will remain regardless. It's really a lot of it is how you frame it and what you think might work best for you at that particular time. And if you, um, if you have a partner, what might work for them as well. Okay, so I want to run a hypothetical by you. I think I will know mm. your answer to it, but I'm just trying to think of some of the anxieties that I could imagine um, a mum in a clinical master's program thinking. And one of the things that I'm picking up on is that I wonder whether a mum during their training, you might take a bit longer to do your placements or need, say, uh, some more supports, or you might find that perhaps the grades that you're getting in your master's might be different to other students who can actually take the time to much more time than you. And I just wondered whether this was a challenge for you, either having more time to do placements potentially or getting different grades and how, which mindset you applied to that? Great question. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, this is a great question. Oh, yes. I, I had to face, this is the reality that I had to face, that in my placements, in terms of my performance on placements and also the coursework didn't quite, and I'll be honest about that, it probably didn't match up well with the other students in my cohort was that difficult to accept yes mm. was the feedback really difficult to hear absolutely was it an anxiety provoking yes was I overwhelmed yes was I stressed out absolutely and so again I'm not sure how I came to this but at some point it was radical acceptance together with having the ability to accept my own weaknesses and just to be open and non-judgmental and be accepting of my own weaknesses is that, um, okay, 72 out of, you know, whatever, whatever the number is, it's irrelevant. Yeah. The yeah. number is irrelevant. 
it's good enough. And I accept this. I accept where I am and I'm going to move on. Easier said than done. Yes. And it wasn't just a single occurrence of this. This would happen over and over and over again. Multiple feedbacks, multiple exams, multiple presentations, multiple supervision sessions. So it's an ongoing process where you have to step into space and say, okay, I'm accepting this feedback fully. This is where I am. I'm accepting my weaknesses. Um, And again, where to from here? I think there was there were also periods where people did highlight my strengths oh, as that's well. Good. I'm yeah, pleased. absolutely. I should I should say that that especially if you have supervisors or you have um, lovely peer support, they will remind you of that. It may be difficult for you to remember. <laughs> now, if you have one, two, three people around you that can remind you of that then that kind of brings you back a bit closer to the midway point. And again, it's a source of positive energy that keeps you going. I was actually going to ask, how do you maintain your self-worth in the face of multiple negative feedback? Because coming into a clinical master's and a PhD, usually the people who get into these programs would have been people who are performing quite well in their undergrad and I guess like Um, honours year as well. So they'd be used to scores in the 80s and 90s. So to have this, I could imagine would be quite jarring for somebody's self-worth, but it sounds like having those people around you to remind you of your strengths and who know you well um, was really helpful for you. Is that right? Yeah, it really was. It was immensely, immensely um, helpful. It's a bit of a reminder. And I did this silly thing where I would think about Or I would try to remember how I did in my undergrad. And I couldn't remember a single exam or what I did or how I did or exactly (laughs) what what it is. I know I got through it. Yeah. But honestly, I can't, I can't remember. And so I would be on the floor prepping for these exams, and my baby's just crawling. She's holding on to the pencils and the pens. And I would just stop and take a few photos and Um, And I would think, oh my gosh, you know, I will get through this. I need to still try. I always try to do my best. I'm still going to try. I'm going to try my best. I'm really going to try and learn. And I'm going to take take the exam or I'm going to keep showing up. And, you know, looking back, I have these photos where it's late nights and I'm having to study or in the morning, my baby's calling. And honestly, that's all I remember. (laughs) I remember just having my highlighter all over the notes and (laughs) just these these really sweet moments. Um, So sometimes it's a little bit of a reality check as well. And, you know, you you do need to, you need to show up and you need to show up and you need to prep yourself as much as you can. It really speaks to this mindset being just a huge asset of yours that carried you through these really difficult times. I guess so. Now that I'm reflecting on that. Yeah, I probably should have kept a bit more diary. It would have been so interesting. <laughs> it would have been helpful um, how the process was. And I mean, there were some ups and downs, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that was my expectation from the beginning that this is going to be going up and down. And also trying to have this perfect balance between the two. Forget it. You know, people say, oh, deep work, you can multitask. And I've tried that. And so, and, and I gave up on that as well. 
and I would be loading the dishwasher, the baby I'm holding her in my pouch while <laughs> flipping the papers, everything is happening at once, you know, cleaning, multitasking was a thing. Um, I was doing everything at once sometimes because that's what needed to happen. So there were these small things where I just accepted that the balance wasn't always going to be there. And um, that sometimes I wouldn't be able to pick her up on time. That sometimes she would be the last baby. Still, you know, the daycare is closing down. She's the last one in there. They've cleaned everything out. And I'm calling and saying, please give me five more minutes. I'll be there in five minutes. Yeah. And picking her up and she's just falling asleep. And you accept that. Yeah. That you won't always, you you won't have that. It's that it's the, the balance. If you seek complete balance, that it just may not be sustainable. Yeah. It, again, it's kind of like, I do hear that messaging around do one thing at a time, but it's like when you're faced with the reality, you couldn't eliminate that multitasking. It just needed to come along. It was there. And by the way, you're really good at it now. Every time I look at you, I'm like, oh my goodness, Inez is amazing. She's keeping track of like four things right now. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's that whole thing where you have eight tabs open or yeah. more than eight tabs and you're on the single screen. Um, and it's, look, sometimes that's really what needs to happen. Yeah. Um, I do. I really enjoy deep work and having a single tab open when you're, if you're writing up your PhD, you're, you're really going to need to get into some deep work. Oh yeah. Mm. Working through the procrastination. I think we've had many chats about yeah. that. Yeah. Mind is all over the place and you're trying to settle your thoughts. So there will be a times when it has to be full, full focus, do what you need to do prior to that. Hydrate, eat well, breathe, take five minutes settle yourself and then get into it because you have to be mindful of how you're using your time as well and in a way look that was actually worked to my advantage if I knew I had two hours that's all I had mm, so you gotta do it in this time you gotta you go have to do with it. the discomfort and write or review and edit absolutely and I think there was a period when the whole COVID thing happened and you know, schools were shutting down and I'm trying to finish my PhD and I'm thinking, please keep the daycare open, which they did. Yes. Um, because it made it possible for me to get into the office. But there was always, I was always an edge a little bit. Oh, they could shut it down tomorrow. I better get, you know, yeah. see if I can smash out another page. So you're keeping that, you're keeping that in mind. And it's a lot of, um, I describe it as cognitive Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a very accurate descriptor. Yes, yes. So, yeah, what are you doing? Well, just cognitive Olympics, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Be like on the podium. You got to be. Mm, yeah. Your bubby is a few years older now. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you're in your registrar program. I'm wondering how much of, I guess, you as a parent comes into the therapy room with you, whether you take this mindset in with you to the therapy room or whether it's quite separate for you. I would say that I try and keep these two things separate. Mm -hmm. I also see a range of clients, given that I'm in my retro program. So we get to see a range of clients rather than focusing on a niche at this time. And I try to keep these two things separate so whether I'm working and you know especially if I'm working with parents I always try to remain focused on the clients and I've continued to do similarly what I did previously where once I step through the door there's a bit of a cutoff and then I'm focused on my work and I try to keep these things separate 
And that's something worth reflecting on in speaking with your supervisor because people come in with all sorts of different challenges, um, different backgrounds, um, different points of view. And I just, it's about remaining, remaining curious. Um, I guess when it does come into the picture, um, I do experience that sense of empathy and compassion for people because you know that it really is, it can be challenging. It can be difficult being a parent at times. Um, you know, someone might say, you know, I had a cancellation. My, my kids were really sick. It's like, okay, no need to explain. Yeah, that's really interesting. So through your experiences, you can certainly have that empathy and really put yourself in clients' shoes. But it sounds like like there would be clients who I'm sure might have different approaches to parenting or different ways of raising their kids or different judgments or, or things like that. And that would be a reflective process for you noticing what's coming up for you. Oh, yes. Then- and perhaps talking about that in supervision as well. Yeah, so that's that's a key takeaway, I would say, if you're considering, regardless of where you are in your journey, and you're thinking about family planning or your parent for the first time, uh, supervision is really important to have supervisors who will challenge you, um, have the capacity to perhaps touch on some of these challenges, being able to reflect on things. Look, it's much easier to say that from where I'm sitting because I've gone through the experience. So you know what to what to look out for, obviously. Uh, it may be a bit more challenging and difficult for someone who hasn't gone through through the experience. And just accept that I suppose it's it's a bit of a learning process. Yeah. It's it's a learning process and see how you go with supervision and how you can reflect in the supervision. But these are all tools and and, and tools and strategies that are available to us that are within our control. Awesome. Ines, I'm wondering if there's anything that we haven't talked about so far that you really want to give a voice to that could be really helpful for listeners who are considering starting a family or have a little bubby and are just wondering how to get through this training. Great question. I think this has been, I'm hoping that this has been of value to, to listeners and, and those that are considering starting a family or are just in the middle of this. So maybe they have kiddos already and they're yeah. thinking about um, starting a master's or doing a PhD program or um, starting the journey of becoming a psychologist. So we covered a number of different things. Yeah. Look, each journey will be deeply personal. Uh, things will look different for different people. I suppose, lean back on your gut feeling, on your urge, on your wishes, on your goals, on your aims. And think about, as I've said before, for me, this was a difficult but a necessary, necessary decision. And do a little bit of um, something that's available to us and we can do. Imagine what that would be look like. It's almost like using imagery looking into the future. Yeah. What would that look like if I have a baby six months from now or if I have children and I'm starting school? So imagine what would the drop-offs be? What would it be like to pick things, to pick up your kids at the end of the day and everyone is tired? How would you manage that? Really try to experience that. That potentially could be helpful. Talk to other people who've gone through the experience, maybe you're on the edge and you're thinking, yes, I can do this, but you need just a little bit of that, just a little bit of something, someone to talk to, yeah. you know, reach out 
to to that person and and speak to them. One other thing that I would say that we didn't talk about in our chat today, in our discussion, that it might be worth mentioning, is the also an anxiety or a sense of separation anxiety from your child oh, or course. from your bubby. Yeah. So that's a huge, that's a huge challenge. So whether you're a parent who's now thinking about doing this, um, regardless of the age of your child, they will need to adjust it now. My parents or um, their availability will shift a little bit. So that's one thing. Or perhaps you're in the middle of the program or you're thinking about starting a family. There comes a point in time where you will be have to separate from your baby. It could be five hours. It could be four hours. It could be six or eight hours. It could be the entire day. So separation and anxiety when they're crying and there's going to be that natural need and urge to be with your baby and you will hurt leaving them. So that's something to work through, um, something to consider, a sense of separation and anxiety. But it could be also a period of exponential growth for you as a parent as well. And even if that, even if that's the case and you are experiencing an immense sense of separation and anxiety, there are healthy ways to manage that. And again, remember at the beginning, I said I'd reserve the right to change my mind. So that's, I would say that's one of the only things that I could add to our uh, conversation today. Yeah, with the separation anxiety, if somebody is really struggling with that, what is what is some really good avenues that they could help themselves through? Is it self-education or is it like a child health nurse or is it a mum's group or their own therapy? What are potential avenues that people could use? Any of those really. Okay. I can't really I can't really speak to the mom's group or a health nurse um because I didn't have time. So sadly, I didn't get to engage in community-based um, links. Yeah. I would highly recommend that. I think it's really wonderful. Self-help, self-insight, really helpful. Mm. Anything by uh, Daniel Siegel, yeah. Bryanson, the whole child. Uh, the, you know, they talk about this narrative that you, you have to work through things, the, the power of showing up basically working out your own narrative so if you have um if you have the time or if you can to engage in self-help <laughs> i don't know if there's a better better label or a better term for that i guess it's learning it's personal learning it's it's really just personal learning and yeah. yes there are other resources that you can link into and connect with Again, for me, peer support and having a few people around me was huge, absolutely huge. And that separation and anxiety. And then to add to that, a real thing is I had close relationships with the educators, early educators at the daycare, so that I can have develop a relationship with them. And I felt safe enough that once I dropped my baby off, my baby was in their hands. I experienced the pull, the dread, the anxiety, and I would say, and my baby's safe, and we're okay, and we'll get through this today. And that's really how I manage day to day to day. Amazing. Well, Inez, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. And I think the listeners who are either 
planning families, considering planning families or already have bubbies and are thinking of adding more and are training will really benefit from hearing. I just think some of the stuff you discussed was absolutely amazing. It does reflect on what I what I know about you and it just gives greater voice to it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for having me today. And I really do hope that this is of value to, to anyone listening. Yeah. And, and as if listeners want to learn more about you or get in touch, where can they find you? I think the best place if anyone wanted to reach out or if they had questions is just to go straight to my website and, and just drop a note via contact form. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm obviously active on Instagram, but messaging, I don't really monitor that. So I would say if, if, if anyone does have any questions or they wanted to reach out with some specific things, um, please feel free just to contact me via um, my website. Great. I will put that in the show notes. Again, thank you so much, Ines. And that's a wrap, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in and catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Mental Work, the podcast for early career psychologists. If there's someone you know who might love this show, let them know about it. It's the best way to get the podcast into new listeners' ears and I'd be so grateful for it. Thanks for listening. Have a good one and see you next time. Thank you.